Second Samuel chapter number 15 tonight, Second Samuel chapter number 15, I'm going to switch over to this one here. Second Samuel chapter number 15, and I failed to mention a moment ago that uh, my second volume in the new study guide series, A Time to Build, uh, is available back there, and like um, the first one on faith, I've taken our Sunday school lessons and put them in a uh, hardback form, so if you keep the Sunday school lessons, you've got this, uh, but if you want to pick up a volume, there'll be another one coming, another volume coming, uh, it's good for uh, personal devotions and family devotions and uh, you may just want to have it as a good reference for yourself uh, on the theme of building. That's available back there, and um, I'm excited about what the Lord has, uh, pro- uh, the opportunities God's provided for us to have a part in, uh, in uh, getting out the truth. And so tonight we're going to look at Second Samuel chapter number 15, and this morning I uh, told you what I was going to preach on tonight, and I am going to preach on that subject this evening, but I'm going to do things a little bit differently. I'm going to go ahead and have a word of prayer. Uh, And then uh, we're going to look into the life of King David, and I'm going to walk us through some things about the life of King David before we even get to the text. Uh, Then we'll get to the text, and uh, I'll make some applications, and then uh, we'll get to uh, the outline tonight. Uh, But I want to remind you what I'm, I'm, I'm speaking on tonight, when your lowest moment becomes your greatest moment. Um, Wouldn't it be wonderful if every moment in life was a high? If everything was a mountaintop experience and there was never any valleys, uh, we know that's not reality. We know that is not truth. Uh, But I want to point out something that um, I I know the Lord spoke to me about, and uh, it was really shown a light onto the greatness of King David and how heaven looks at things differently than man looks at them. Uh, heaven looks at uh, the, the reality of life and how we respond differently than man does. And so I want you to stay with me tonight. Give me a good hearing. And um, I don't have a, a long outline, just a few things uh, written in my Bible tonight. And uh, hopefully we'll get this truth across. So tonight I want to speak on when your lowest moment becomes your greatest moment. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, I pray tonight uh, that you'll just uh, use the Word of God to strengthen us, to remind us of some things, and Father, may uh, it compel us to uh, live in a greater way just to please you. Uh, May our thoughts be towards you and how our actions in the next day uh, would honor you, would please you. Uh, May we make our decisions, not just in the good times, but in the difficult times of how we respond, what we do, uh, based on the instructions you give us in your word. Bless your people tonight. May uh, your word be magnified for us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the most well-known Bible characters certainly is King David. Uh, certainly in the Old Testament, but throughout Scripture, uh, David is a not, a, a very, not just a popular Bible character, he's a very important one. Uh, we know as out of the lineage of David, uh, the Savior would be born. Uh, he's very significant historically. Uh, but certainly scripturally, there's much for us to look at in the life of David. I imagine not just dozens, but probably hundreds and thousands of sermons could be preached just from the life of David. Here is a man who, from the time he was a child uh, to to his death, uh, there's such significant things that take place in his life. Uh, You think about the first time you heard of David, and in my case, uh, it was when I was a a small child in Sunday school, and you hear of the story of David and Goliath. You think of that young man and and how even before he got to that point in his life, uh, he had uh, killed a lion. He had killed a bear. Uh, He had faithfully uh, served his post as a shepherd. Now, I don't know how common that was back then. I know it's not real common today to have a, a young man keeping the sheep and kill a lion and a bear. They have that on their resume. Uh, but certainly, this was King David. But certainly, that was not as high, the highest point in his life. That, being faithful in those tasks, we know the story, got him to the place where his father sent him to check on his brothers, check on the war with the Philistines. And we find that famous passage of Scripture from which we get our theme for the year, uh, is there not a cause when he heard Goliath 
cursing the armies of Israel, cursing the God of Israel, and no one dared to fight him. And he, of course, said, I'll fight him. And we know the story and how uh, Saul tried to give him his armor and he wouldn't take the armor, but he had taken five smooth stones and he used that sling to kill Goliath, cut off the giant's head with his own sword. What a high point in the life of David. This was not his greatest moment. This might be his most famous moment. It might be his most well-known moment. There might be more sermons preached about this moment. There might be more Sunday school lessons taught on this moment. While certainly this was a great moment, this was not the greatest period. This was not the greatest moment in the life of David. You say, but pastor, this is, you think about this. The, the women made up songs and sang songs about this occasion. Saul has slain his thousands. David his ten thousands. That sounds like a pretty great moment to me. That sounds like a pretty high time to me. Don't, don't misunderstand. That is a great moment in his life. That is a magnificent moment, and God used that moment to propel David into what he would do with his life. David is anointed the next king of Israel after God rejects Saul, and he is anointed after nobody thought that it would be him. And uh, he had been anointed the king. And so he is going to be king. But we know how Saul, that evil spirit, came upon him. And Saul sought to kill David. And David had to flee. I think of other great moments in the life of David. I think of great victories in battles. Even in exile, God used him to win. And he still won battles. I think of the times that he had an opportunity to take the life of Saul. And he did not because he would not touch God's anointed. What a great moment in his life. What an honorable moment in his life. But I'm going to submit to you tonight that the greatest moment in the life of David, the greatest period in his life, was not when he slew the giant, was not when he refused to touch the Lord's anointed. And as Saul and his sons are later killed, he becomes the king. Can you imagine how fulfilling that must have been in the life of David? He had been anointed as a young man. And ever since that period of time, ever since that moment with Samuel, the prophet of God came and anointed him with oil as the next king, trouble had come to him. He had been in exile. He had, he had, the king had tried to kill him. His, 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 his close friend, Jonathan, now has lost his life, and now we come to the fruition of what God said was going to take place, and the crown is placed on his head. What a magnificent moment that must have been. What a great moment that must have been in his life. But tonight I'm going to submit to you that that was not his greatest moment. We know David was a mighty warrior. We know David was an honorable man, but we know David was not a perfect man. Uh, we know well, Scripture documents the sin of David and Bathsheba and how God dealt with David because of that sin and how David, as he pens in Psalm 51, and, and he goes through that great psalm of getting right with God and uh, that what a wonderful thing. And we should all stay away from sin and we all ought to guard ourselves so that, so that we don't stumble, that we don't fall. But it is, let me just tell you tonight, it is an honorable thing to get up off of your face and make things right with your God and move forward in your relationship with God. A great moment in his life, his reconciliation with God. Off of a low moment, we think of the high of David as David slaying Goliath. The low of David, of his sin with Bathsheba. I want to remind you tonight as we progress a little further into the life of David, that life is not just one chapter. That the life of David is not simply him as a shepherd, fighting the, 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 the lion, killing the lion, killing the bear, and then fighting David, that is, fighting Goliath. That is not the summation of his life. And yet neither is the, the, the summation of his life, his sin with Bathsheba. That is not the summation of his life. A life is, encompasses the good chapters, the bad chapters, 
the fulfillment of an entire life. You say, Pastor, why do you bring that up? Hey, if you've got a great victory for God, don't hang your hat on that. There's another chapter to write. There's another chapter to live. If you've fallen flat on your face and you've failed God, don't let that be the last chapter anybody ever reads about your life. Get up. There's another chapter to write tomorrow. There's another chapter to write the next day. There's another year coming. This is the life of David. We know the highlights of his life. I'm going to bring it to the text tonight of what I believe is the beginning of David's greatest moments in his life. 2 Samuel 15, verse number 13. I'm going to read one verse of Scripture now. We're going to look at several others throughout the message. There came a messenger to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. David had already dealt with his own sin. David was sitting on the throne. And trouble came to the house of David. We know what one son, the horrible things that Amnon did to his stepsister. And how later Absalom, David's other son, would kill Amnon for what he had done. And Absalom had gone into exile and through a course of things, and for you to read, read, read up on, uh, Joab goes and gets Absalom to come back to the kingdom. And now Absalom has turned the hearts of men to him. And Absalom is going to take the throne from his father, not by the will of God, but by the will of Absalom. And David, the mighty king, is going to leave the throne... He's going to leave the palace, and he is going to go into exile once again. Maybe you're thinking tonight, Pastor, I thought you said we're going to read of the greatest moments in the life of David. I believe that we are. But you're going to have to stay with me for just a moment as we peek into the life in this chapter of David. I did not say that it would be a mountaintop experience that would show the greatness of David. Because you and I, we tend to think that when we slay a giant, that is the pinnacle of life as we live. And certainly, wonderful times. And certainly, we shout the victory because what God is able to do through us. But we find David, I believe, at his lowest moment. See, he had sinned, as we know, but he had de- God had dealt with that sin. He had dealt with that sin. He had made things right with God. Now there are situations taking place with people he loves very much, his own family, his own children. The throne belonged to David. God had placed David on the throne. It was for no man to take the throne Away from David, it was God's throne, and God had put David on it. Now David is going to go into exile. You think back on this period into the life of David, one that we don't look at as much as we look at killing the giant. We don't look at it as much as the ones as we see David with his mighty men. But this, my opinion, as I study the life of David as a whole, I believe David is going to reveal the greatness of David. He's going to reveal what I believe, even though he's in his lowest moments, the greatest part of his life. You think about him getting to this point where Absalom is going to overthrow. And in the next few verses, you'll read how Absalom and those loyal to Absalom are going to try and pursue David and kill him. Can you imagine your own son trying to not just take your throne, but take your life? Can you imagine that? After what has already taken place in the, in the heartache. Now you read the, 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 the story of Absalom and, and how David handled Ammon and how David handled Absalom. And we can second guess David as the father. We can second guess how he handled things. And I don't know that he handled everything right. I don't know that he handled it wrong. But certainly there was probably some things where his humanity, he made decisions in his humanity. 
We can second guess how people responded to his decisions. And Absalom surely didn't like the way that David handled that situation. And perhaps Absalom, and certainly Absalom, didn't like the way that David handled him. If you read the account, and you ought to do it at another time, Absalom kept trying to appeal to David. Would the king talk to me? Would the king talk to me? And David refused to speak to him. Now we can sit and say, maybe David should have talked to him. Maybe David should have tried to make things right. Maybe he should have. I'm not here tonight to give my opinion about whether he should or shouldn't have. I'm just simply here to say there is probably some humanity in which David dealt with the situation that maybe wasn't handled the right way. He certainly, at this point, in 2 Samuel 15, verse 13, he finds himself in a situation as a result of the actions of other people. A result of the actions of himself. A result of the situation that he could not control. He's going to enter into what I think is the lowest point of his life. Having to leave what God has given him. So well, he should have just fought. That's been my opinion throughout my life. But can you imagine drawing a sword on your own flesh and blood? I imagine David the father had a sense of guilt that this situation was even occurring because of past circumstances. He probably heard the critic, well, this is God's judgment. He probably heard the critic, this is what happens when you get to the throne by the sword. And David being a bloody man and a warrior, he probably heard the critic second guess and, well, if he can't even govern his own house, how in the world can he, can he govern a king, kingdom? Be that as it may, we find him leaving his home, his throne, his responsibility, not of his own doing and not even of God's doing because of the circumstances of life and by the decisions of other people. He's going to enter into a low point of his life. If we were to read, continue reading on through chapter number 15 the, and into chapter number 16, you'll find at the end of chapter number 15, he is told that Ahithophel, his friend, who had been his advisor, is loyal to Absalom. And not just a turmoil in the kingdom, and not just a turmoil in his own home, not just the, the trouble that he enters in, but now those who he had counted on, those who had been loyal to him, have now forsaken him and have now given their allegiance to someone else. We get into chapter number 16, and they are continuing to flee and get as far away as they can. We find a man named Shimei who shows up throwing rocks at the king, kicking dirt at the king, if you will. And by the way, there's always a Shimei. They don't come after David when David's at his best. They wait till there's a little trouble. They wait till there's a little turmoil. They wait till God's servant walks through a valley. Then they, that, that, That's when they open a social media account. That's when they get on the internet, uh, is when a Christian is entering into a valley of life. We find Shimei throwing those rocks at the king as if the burden wasn't heavy enough. But I believe that I'm going to show us in the next several chapters how the lowest point of his life was the greatest part of his life. See, Pastor, from a human standpoint, we look at this, how is that possible? How is that greater? I remember when I was a child, and, and you hear all those Bible stories. Uh, they, we heard David and Goliath. We didn't hear David fleeing Absalom. We heard of David's mighty victories. We didn't hear of him fleeing in fear of his life as being a high moment. 
Because from man's perspective, the valley is not very high. From man's perspective, the valley is not pleasant. From our perspective, the valley is what we want to avoid. Uh, we don't want to enter this, this place. We don't want to shed the tears. We don't want to have our heart broken. We don't want life to treat us this way. After all, David had been a faithful man. After all, David had, was a man after God's own heart. Why would God say that about David? But when you and I enter into a low point of life, Maybe it's, it's a doctor's report. Maybe it's betrayal of man. Maybe it's, 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 it's losing of, of, of a, a career, a job. Whatever it may be, there are valleys in life. And friend, tonight I'm here to tell you that's but one chapter of your entire life to remember that. But I also want you to remember when you enter into a valley, it is an opportunity for it to be the greatest part of your life. You say, Pastor, how could that be? How can, how can it be great when you have a broken heart? How can it be a great part of life when you shed tears? How can it be great when you've had dreams taken away from you and things taken away from you? I didn't say it would be pleasant, but from God's perspective and from God's approval, it gives you and I an opportunity to make the lowest chapter of our life the greatest part of our life. Let me illustrate it to you and let me show you tonight from Scripture that David was at his greatest when he was the most disgraced. He was a disgraced king, but he's going to show his greatness in these moments. Look with me in chapter 16. I referenced and referred to Shimei, beginning with verse number 5, and this man Shimei from the house of Saul. He came forth and cursed still as he came. Verse 6 and he cast stones at David, and all the servants of King David, and all the people, and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. All of a sudden... Shimei is a prophet. Shimei knows the heart of God. And yes, Absalom can do everything against what God has decreed, but in Shimei's mind, this is exactly what you get, David. It's no different from some preachers I know in this day. But I want you to notice something. Verse 9, Then said Abishai, the son of Zariah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? I like Abishai. Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? I like the way that sounds. Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. And the king said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zariah? So let him curse. Because the Lord has said unto him, Curse David, who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? He said, Look at what Absalom's doing to me. What's my own son's trying to kill me? You think Abishai, you, you, you think you think Shimei is you think I'm even paying attention to that? How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone and let him curse. For the Lord hath bidden him. Now watch verse 12. It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. Here's the first thing I want to point out tonight that's going to show that this, David's going to show that this is the great, from heaven's perspective, from a, a standpoint of pleasing God and not himself and those around him. How bad do you think Abishai wanted to do what he requested to do? It's going to come up again in a few chapters. He, didn't, he wasn't just talking. You've heard of the mighty men? He wanted to do this. David said, let him be. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction, that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. Let me say, number one, if you want to have your longest moment become your greatest moment, leave the situation in God's hands. David 
didn't need Abishai to kill Shimei. This was David who killed the giant. This was David, the mighty warrior. But if David didn't want to dirty himself, not only Abishai, there was others there who would have done the job for him. And David showed his greatness. Not by pulling a stone out of his shepherd's bag and killing a giant, but by saying, I'm going to leave the situation I find myself in, in God's hands. Sometimes, friend, God puts us in a situation where we don't have a choice. Now, would it have made Abishai feel good? Certainly. Would it have allowed David to vent some frustration? Probably so. But David had grown enough in his life. He knew God well enough to know that sometimes there are things that you can't change. Sometimes you find yourselves in situations you never thought you'd be in. Can you imagine when Absalom was born and David held that child in his arms? You think he, in his wildest thoughts, ever thought that same child would be trying to kill him. That same child would be trying to take the kingdom away. You think in his wildest imaginations he would have ever thought that? Probably not. And now he finds himself in a situation that he has no control over. But he can control how he responds to that which he has no control over. And the first thing that he does to reveal his greatness, and what I want to apply to you and I tonight, we find ourselves in a valley. We find ourselves in a low moment. If you haven't been there, you will be there. And sometimes we find them by our own doing. Sometimes it's a combination of, of our own doing coupled with the actions of others. And we find ourselves in a situation and we want to make that a great moment. Remember, it's a, it's, it's a complete picture. It's not one chapter. It's an entire book of our life. And who are we to please? Are we supposed to try and, 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 and appease uh, even those around us who have our best interest in mind? Are we supposed to, to our part, take things in our own hand to deal with the shimmies of this world, to, to try and uh, solve the problem ourselves? David showed his greatness when he just said, God knows all about it. I'm just going to let him handle it. I'm going to let him take care of it. And friend, no matter what you and I face in our life, we have to look to God. We have to trust God. We have to depend on God. Well, and sometimes we get ourselves in more trouble because we try and take things into our own hands whenever we walk into that valley. And sometimes there's nothing you can do. There's some, sometimes there's, there's nothing you can do when it comes to the situation that is forced on us with things that take place in our life. Sometimes those that we care about us walk out on us. Sometimes those that, that we even win to Christ turn on us. Sometimes uh, it, it is our doctor's report. Sometimes it is our loss in our own life, and what are we to do? Our tendency in our flesh is I've just got to do something to make me feel better. I've got to prove that Shimei's are saying is not right. But David said, leave the situation in God's hands. The story continues, and Absalom is going to pursue David. And that's some interesting. Ahithophel gives some counsel, and David had prayed that the counsel of Ahithophel uh, would be of no effect. And Ahithophel is saying, and we get into chapter 17, choose out 12,000 men, then I will arise and pursue after David this night. Ahithophel, who had eaten from the king's table, who had what he had because of David, is now saying, give me 12,000 men and I'll track him down like a dog. And I will come upon him while he is weary and weak at hand, and I will make him afraid, and all the people that are with him shall flee, and I will smite the king only. This is verse 2. And I will bring back all the people unto thee, the man whom thou seekest is all returned, so all the people shall be in peace. And the saying pleased Absalom well and all the elders of Israel. Ahithophel said, hey, give me 12,000, we'll track them down. And all I'll do is kill David, and once David is dead, everybody who's with him will come back, and they'll serve you in the kingdom. Boy, Absalom liked the sound of that. Then said Absalom, call now Hushai, the archite, also, verse 5, and let us hear likewise what he saith. And when Hushai was come to Absalom, Absalom spake unto him, saying, Ahithophel has spoken after this manner. Shall we do after this saying? If not, speak thou. 
Hushai said unto Absalom, The counsel that Hithophel hath given is not good at this time. For said Hushai, Thou knowest thy father and his men, that they be mighty men, and be chafed in their minds as a bear robbed of her whelps in the field. And thy father is a man of war, and will not lodge with the people. We skip down to verse 10. And he also that is valiant, whose heart is as the heart of a lion, shall utterly melt. For all Israel knoweth that thy father is a mighty man, they which be with him are valiant men. Hushai comes and says, you know, it's a little different. Hithophel is sitting at the king's table and understanding some things. He didn't say it like this, but this is how I picture it in my mind. You certainly got stupid all of a sudden. Have you forgotten who David is? Absalom, this is not good counsel. Thy father is a man of war. And right now is certainly not the time you want to fight him. And then two verses later in verse 10, the statement is made, All Israel knoweth that thy father is a mighty Man, second truth I want to point out about what I think is the greatest point in David's life. He allowed his past actions to speak for themselves. I've given counsel several times in the last several weeks from church members. I'll use the word upset, although, you know, I'm not sure it's the right word. I could use the word discouraged, although I don't think that's the right word. Because of circumstances in their life, they can't do what they would like to do for the Lord. They can't do what they used to be able to do for the Lord. Or they'll go through a period of testing, whether it be health or otherwise, and life, if I can put it like this, puts them on the sidelines. And let's be honest, one of the first things that comes to our mind when we have to take care of what God has instructed us to take care of What are other people going to think? I can't be where I'd like to be. What what are people going to think? Pastor encourages us to be be involved in all these things and be at all these things, but life, where I'm at right now, I'll put it like this, I'm in this low time in my life, I'm in this, I can't do, I already feel bad about it, but I don't want other people to think, that I don't love God, that, 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 I don't, that I don't want to serve Him. David had past works that spoke for him. Let me say it like this. His character spoke for him. Every person in here, if you have not, you will. Something's going to come to your life when you can't do the things that you'd like to do. You can make it as personal as you want to. You, you, you're not going to be able. There's going to come a, I remember when we went through, uh, all, all we went through with, with, with our daughter Amanda and going through all that. Uh, church attendance, I wouldn't have got perfect attendance. Uh, I, w- I was not capable of it. There are things that I could not do. And you do wonder, but you know what you ought to do? And that's why everybody in here needs to listen to what I'm about to say. While you can, serve God. While you can be back on Sunday night, be there. While you can knock on somebody's door, knock on it and invite them to church. While you can, I know we're not now, but when we get the choir back, while you can sing in the choir, sing in it. While you can work a bus route, work it. While you can be an encouragement and a help, and be where you're supposed to be, be there because there's going to come a valley and it is going to prohibit you from doing what you always had an opportunity to do and being where you always wanted to be and what you need to lay up, if not for others, for yourself. When I had the opportunity to do it, I did it. When I had a battle come to me, I stood when I should have stood. I fought the giant. Sad to say, many Christians are like everybody else David found. 
in that valley with that giant cursing. Standing there, afraid to engage the enemy. But David stepped up. Tonight, maybe you're in life. And maybe you're a young adult. Maybe you've, you're new parents. Maybe you would be in the seniors category. And everybody, no matter where you are, for the first time in your life, you're facing a giant. Don't run from that giant. You fight that giant. And with the power of the Lord, you defeat that giant. Because the day is going to come when you're going to need to look back and say, when I had an opportunity to do it, I did it. When I had an opportunity to be faithful, I was faithful. Hey, there's going to come a time for you to do an honorable thing. And as David did when it came to Saul, he would not touch the Lord's anointed. That was an honorable decision. That was an honorable thing. It pleased God. Now he comes to the point when his honor is put into question. But all Israel knew that he was a mighty man. Now he comes to a point where he's not sitting on the throne, making those decisions that would affect the kingdom. But yet he had done enough, if I could put it, good works for people to know. He had won enough victories for people to know. And friend, let me remind you, David is not going to stay in exile. David is coming back to the throne. And something I've already said, and I want us to be reminded tonight, one chapter of your life does not have to define your whole life. One chapter of defeat does not have to define everything about you. You may be in that chapter tonight. Well, let's, let's get up. If you need to get right with God, get right with God. Let's move on. He's still got a purpose. He's still got a plan for you. And he's got another victory for you to win. He's got something else for you to do. Maybe you're in a valley tonight of, of circumstances in your life that is, that is literally choking your effectiveness, you believe, for God. Hey, your lowest moment can still be your greatest moment if you'll take the opportunities you have. And you'll do what you're able to do. I imagine these battles that David fought were perhaps a distant memory in his mind. He's king now. You're going to find him in battles and people in his warriors saying, David, you don't need to fight anymore because if something happens to you, the light of Israel is going out. But David had fought enough battles that when a situation like this came, they, the, 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 his record spoke for himself. They, the enemies are going to pursue, and there's going to be a great battle that takes place in verse number 18. And the people are reminded who David is. The people are reminded who the mighty men are. And the Scripture tells us that there was a great slaughter that day in verse number 7 of chapter 18, 20,000 men. 20,000 men died because of Absalom. 20,000 men died because of Ahithophel. 20,000 men died because of the unfaithfulness and unloyalty of the disloyalty of those that tried to overthrow the king. David is going to get the kingdom back. You say, well, we know that, Pastor. We know how this ends. But even if we didn't know how it was going to end, we could say David's getting it back because God put him on that throne and God had not taken him off of that throne. Let me remind all of us in here, if you're still here and you're still breathing, God's not done with you. And if he ever called you once, you're still called. If he ever wanted to use you once, he's still going to use you. He, you're still part of his local church, so there's a, there's a place for you. There's a point in you being there. There's a point in you serving there's a great victory won. And if you're familiar with your Bible, you're familiar with this story, you know what happens to Absalom. David had given word not to take his life. Absalom is fleeing. And his hair, he had, his hair was long, and as he was fleeing on horseback, his hair got caught in the branches of a tree. And there he was stuck in that tree. And it was told to Joab. And Joab, as the scripture tells us, puts 
three darts into his heart and kills Absalom. The victory for King David is final, is complete. The enemy has been defeated. A watchman is sent to report to David and to give David a report that the battle has been won. Moving ahead in chapter 18 to verse number 28, And Hiamaz called and said unto the king, All is well. And he fell down to the earth upon his face before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which hath delivered up the men that lifted up their hand against my lord the king. That's a pretty good report. What was David's first response? And the king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? Skip ahead, skip over a few verses. To verse 32, a second messenger comes, Cushai, and the king said to Cushai, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, The enemies of the Lord thy king and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. He's dead, and everybody that rose up against you is dead. Verse 33, And the king was much moved and went up to the chamber of the gate and wept. And as he went, thus said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee. O Absalom, my son, my son. Here's the third thing I want us to see that reveals this truly from God's perspective, from this preacher's perspective, and this day we live in. David kept a tender heart and not a bitter heart. Well, it's his son. It doesn't matter. He did not rejoice. He wanted to know that the young man was safe, certainly because it was his son. But he wept at his death. He said, well, that's a natural thing for a father to weep over the death of his son. I've known fathers so bitter over the actions of their son, they couldn't weep over their death. I've known sons so bitter towards their father, that they couldn't weep over their death. I knew Christians who've allowed the actions of others to make their heart bitter towards other Christians. And friends, I preached this morning to know God is to know love. Because I know the love of God, it should be a natural thing for me to love brothers and sisters in Christ. But I've seen it, and so have you. Christians who've gotten bitter at another Christian. I've seen it, Christians who wouldn't be even be saved by the person they're bitter at had not invested in their life. I've seen Christians, as God has allowed sickness and disease and tragedy and heartache, to enter into their little safe space and their family and their home. Instead of keeping a tender heart towards God, they've got a bitter heart towards God. Friend, let's just be real and transparent for a moment, can we? Who would blame David for being angry right here? Who would blame David for getting a little satisfaction in the enemy being defeated? But David had lived a lot of life. David had fought a lot of battles. David knew what it was like to fall flat on his face and to find a, an angry God a, God, a chastising God, but at the same time find a forgiving God, and a loving God, and a God that would embrace Him, and a God that would establish Him once again on His throne. And, and David understood what it was like to be on the mountaintop in the valley, and now as David flees his, his, his throne, as David flees the kingdom... One of the things that reveals, in my opinion, the greatest days in the life of David was the fact that when he was at his lowest point, he didn't get bitter at man. He didn't get bitter at God. He kept a tender heart. Friend, if you enter into a valley of your life and you can still shed a tear of tenderness and, and you can still rejoice when others rejoice, that's a great moment in your life. And it's not going to happen unless you leave it into God's hands. It's not going to happen unless you leave the situation up to God. And friend, this morning or this evening, no matter what you're facing in life and no matter what may be around the corner, when you enter into that low point in life and if you have not 
you will, and you want to know that God is there for you. You want to be in a place in your life where you've laid up past faithfulness so that you can say, I'm just going to leave it in the hands of God. I'm going to let God deal with it. If he, if he believes I need to be cursed, well then, bless God, I'm just going to take the cursing. If he needs, I, believes I need to be in exile, I'm just going to trust him, and I'm going to go into exile. And what man will look at as the lowest points of his life, I could only imagine a God in heaven saying, see guys, I told you, he is a man after my own heart. Because when man would curse me, I would still put things in motion so that out of the house of David comes the Son of God to pay for the sins of mankind. He is after my own heart. And I imagine heaven smiling on David because he had every reason to be disenchanted. He had every reason to be angry. He had every reason to be bitter, but he kept a tender heart. Fourthly and finally, as I see the conclusion of what I think is reveals the greatness, the greatest time in David's life, we come to verse 19, or chapter 19. Remember a few chapters ago, we talked about Shimei, how bold Shimei was. Think about the irony. I wrote about this somewhere. I can't remember where it was, but Shimei is throwing rocks at David. David has taken a rock, put it in his sling, and sent it across a valley and killed a giant. And you're going to throw rocks at him? He had the ability to take the very rock that he threw at him and send it right back. We know his response. Don't worry about him. I'm going to leave it in God's hands. Look at verse 16. David has been reestablished on the throne, and Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, which was of Harum, hasted and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons and his twenty servants with him, and they went over Jordan before the king. And there went over a ferry boat to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was come over Jordan. A little bit different approach. Verse 19, and said unto the king, Let not my lord impute iniquity unto me, neither do thou remember that, that, that which thy servant did perversely the day that my lord, the king, went out of Jerusalem, that the king should take it to his heart. Now, David, you need to handle this the right way. You need to be a good Christian in this matter, David. Verse 20, for thy servant doth know that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I am come the first this day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet thy, my lord, the king, but Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zariah, that ye should this day be adversaries unto me? Shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? I can just imagine Abishai at this point going, Man! For do not I know that I am this day king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shimei, Thou shalt not die. And the king swear unto him. Here's the fourth thing I want us to see tonight. To me reveals David's greatness when he was at his lowest. He was content with God's preservation. He was content with God's faithfulness. Say, Pastor, what do, you, what do you mean by that? Let me, let me explain and expound on that just a moment. What better way to establish that I am the king than to make an example out of Shimei? To make an example out of the one who threw rocks and cursed, let me make an example out of him so that all the people know David is king again. But David did not need to get even with Shimei for him to be king. Notice what he said at the end of verse 22. Hope you let the power of these words sink in. For do not I know that I am this day king over Israel? How did he know that? Did he know that because he was wearing a crown on his head? 
Did he know that because he was sitting on a throne? Did he know that because he had faithful men like Abishai serve him? No, he knew it because God had established his throne. And friend, let me help you with this tonight. You don't need for the world to, 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 to agree with your position. You don't need for everybody to pat you on the back to know that if you're saved tonight, you're saved. It's because God has established you. God will preserve you. God will take care of you. God is going to provide for you. He didn't have to seek vengeance on anybody else. He didn't have to prove that he was the king. God had established that he was the king. And friend, you don't have to prove to anybody else that you belong to God. God will establish you, and you and I ought to be content. Look what God has done with my life. Look what God, how He has preserved me. And friend, let me be the first to tell you, I don't deserve to speak the name of Jesus. I don't deserve to be a preacher of this book, but yet I get to preach about the coming King, the risen Savior, the Son of God. What a privilege. What an honor. I don't have anything to prove to anybody else. And friend, as a Christian this, this evening, you have nothing to prove to another man. You have nothing to prove to this world. If you are a sinner saved by the grace of God, you're still a sinner saved by the grace of God. Your eternity is established. Your usefulness is established because God still has you here to do something for Him. You don't have to prove it to anybody. You've got nobody to convince. And for some, it'd be good for you to quit trying to convince yourself that you have value to God. All of us could give testimony. Look what God has done in my life. Look how God has brought us through. We could give testimony how many times we probably said to ourselves, well, this is it. It was fun while it lasted. But look what God has done. I don't know if this was a help and a blessing to you. It was a help and a blessing to me. But you see the fullness of David's life. And I never let this sink in and realize this. Maybe this isn't you, but for me, man, David killed that giant. David has, Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. That had to be a high moment. I've always thought he became the king. What a moment that must have been, and certainly so. But if you just look at his life on the surface, from the time he took the throne, it would look like on the surface that it just went downhill from there. His sin with Bathsheba, how God dealt with him. He's going to make another mistake in numbering the people, and God's going to deal with them. But when he was at his lowest, when he rose to the occasion, and I believe he was at his greatest, because it was his character and his dependence on God that he depended on. Friend, tonight, whatever you face, depend on God. Leave it in his hands. And let him establish you. Keep a tender heart. Man is going to wrong you, betray you. And in light of what's going on in our world, don't get cynical. Don't get bitter. Don't get angry at people. Don't get, keep a tender heart towards people. Keep a tender heart. Let God establish. And friend, you and I, as a child of the king, we've got nothing to prove to anyone Nobody had to die for David to be king because God said he's king. Let this truth help you tonight. Father, I pray that you'll allow these things to be a